We're going to pick back up in, uh, in the book of Romans this morning. And, um, you know, we're a church that we want to be uh, spirit-empowered, but we also want to be deeply rooted in the Word of God. And I, and I love, even this morning during our singing time of worship, just seeing the Holy Spirit move among us, you know? And Ryan, in his faith, takes a risk and says, okay, guys, I feel like God wants to do something among us, and let's raise our hand if we feel like there was, there's strongholds to be broken in our lives. And just the response and the prayer and the faith, and that's all because of the power of the Holy Spirit working and moving among us. And we are definitely a church that says, hey, we're all about all of the, who the Holy Spirit is. We believe the gifts are for today, for the church now to empower us, to be on mission to what God has called us to into the city and into the ends of the earth, but we're also a church that believes that the Word of God is, 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 is our foundation of who we are, and uh, we're not going to hold one truth over the other truth of, you know, we, we just want to be spirit-empowered people at the expense of letting go of the truth of the Word of God, or maybe the other, we're just going to hold on to the Word and the truth of God, but we're going to forget about, you know, the Holy Spirit is actually leading and guiding and empowering us, and no, we want want to be a church that holds both these truths in tension. And so I love what, what happened this morning. And here's the beauty about it. When the Word of God is preached, it's not at the expense of the Holy Spirit. Well, as we're sitting here this morning, right now, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that enlarges and illuminates our hearts and our minds to understand the truth of the gospel and the greatness of who our Savior is. And so my encouragement to you this morning is as we sit under some truths that are, are sometimes jagged pills to swallow, allow the Holy Spirit to grease the skids, right? To come along and, and massage and open up your heart to the truth of this glorious gospel that we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3. And um, this is kind of the end of Paul's dissertation on why we need the gospel, so we, we've seen uh, at the beginning here in chapter one where Paul tells us that we, the, the world is depraved. The world needs the, the gospel of Jesus, but the world has, has suppressed the truth of who God is. Actually, the world is an outright rebellion against who God is. Um, but then what Paul does is says, he goes, he doesn't just leave it there with you know, us kind of like pointing fingers at the world, right? As we as Christians or religious and whatever, and we say, yeah, Paul, get them. Tell them all about the truth of who they are. Yeah, yeah. No, then Paul goes, and you, by the way, you religious people, you moralists, you, you people who put your hope and your faith and your lineage and, and how you grew up and the things that you were taught. You know what? It's not just about the, the world. It's also you who could be in trouble too because if you're putting your hope, your faith, and all of these things that don't count for anything, then you're just as guilty as the world. And what we see here now in chapter 3 is what Paul is going to do, he's going to say it's everybody. It's everybody. The whole world is guilty. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3. We're going to verse, read verses 9 through 18 for our first portion here, and then we'll, we'll take a break, and then we'll come back to Romans 3. But this is what Paul says, and uh, just so you know, he's quoting the Old Testament with this. Um, what a lot of commentators and theologians like to call is it's a string of pearls, these little sayings. And what he's doing, he's taking some of the Psalms, he's taking some of Isaiah, and what he's doing is he's, he's, he's putting them together to help us have this picture of the truth of the human condition. It says this in verse 9, what then 
Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And this is his defense for this. As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, that's snakes, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Man, that's some like heavy stuff, right? Aren't you glad you came this morning? <laughs> And so what Paul does here is he, he gives this indictment to the whole human race. No longer is he just saying, okay, the people who don't call themselves believers of Jesus, it's not just them, and it's not just the Jews who grew up with a lineage of, of a right understanding of who God is. It's not even the Greeks who put their hope in their thinking and, and, and the way that they live their lives, and somehow this will save them. It's actually all of humanity that is guilty of sin. Um, I, we, we got back last Tuesday and, um, man, it was, it was a long two weeks where we, I think we slept in like five or six different places over the two weeks, Airbnb, stayed with friends, sleeping in different beds, traveling, you know, here and there. And I, all I wanted to do when I got home is I just wanted to be with my family. Right. And it was like, you know, what's that saying? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Um, that's so true, you know? Um, and sometimes, you know, the kids get on your nerves, right? And you need a good two weeks to kind of be like, oh, yeah, I really love you, you know? <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, we, we got home, and uh, I just said, man, I just, I just want to, like, uh, Ryan McBride bought me these things called house pants. And whenever, whenever I'm feeling like, I just need to chill, I put on my house pants, you know? And every, every once in a while, I'll text him a picture of me in my house pants, and he knows, he's like, yeah, yeah, because he's got a pair of house pants too, right? So I just want to put my house pants on. So I sat down and I thought, okay, family, let's all get together and let's just veg out. And so, and lo and behold, what do we watch? We watch some stupid show that's gonna make me cry. You already know where I'm going, it's called This Is Us. And if you haven't watched it, um, you know, I'd, I'd recommend it, you know. Um, but there's this conversation where you see, what, what often happens in the show is there'll be these flashbacks. You show the family now, and then they'll show the family, you know, 20, 20 25 years previously uh, with the father interacting with his kids when they were little. And there was this one moment where the two brothers are, they're pushing each other at the pool. They go to the family pool, and the one brother is trying to make fun of his, other, of his brother in front of his friends to make himself feel better, right? And the younger brother who's getting made fun of comes up to him and says, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And the little boy goes away, and he's sitting there, and he sits by his dad, and he's like, Dad, am I, am I a good person? And the dad's like, hmm, why do you ask? And the little boy says, because I do bad things. And then the dad says, no, you're a good person. It's just that we come from a long line of complicated men. <laughs> yeah. And I thought in that moment, as a parent, we always try to tell our kids they're good people. 
Our culture tries to tell us that we're good people. It tries to say, no, 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 I know you do bad things, but you're actually inherently a good person. But see, Scripture doesn't tell us that. Paul tells us here in Romans chapter 3, in these nine, in these whatever many verses we just read, he said, actually, in the story with this is us, the dad trying to console his son because he's done something bad, he's actually not telling him the truth. What he needs to tell his son is actually, son, you are not a good person. You actually have sin in your heart. And the reason why you do bad things is because you were born with an inherently sinful nature. The reason why you choose to fulfill your anger or your pride or your passions or your lust of the flesh is because you have a propensity that you were born with to do bad things, not good things. And actually, I mean, if you, if you ever have a conversation like that with your kids, man, what a gospel opportunity, right? To be able to say, but, but Jesus, right? There's grace. But he doesn't do that. He tries to convince his kid to appease the pain that he feels emotionally inside to say, no, you're actually a good person. And our culture does that. And the reality is we tell ourselves the same thing very often, that we're good people. Uh, the culture tells us that all over and over. But here's the reality. And, and this is maybe a, a scary word for us to understand or maybe a scary phrase. But in this section, what Paul is doing is he's telling us the truth that we, when we're born, have a nature that is what's called totally depraved. Totally depraved. Now, what does that mean, totally depraved? Does that mean that when you're born, you're as evil as you can be in that moment? No, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that you are born and then all of a sudden you are the most evil little gremlin that you can ever, because we always know, sadly, there's room for improvement, right? If you have children, you know this, okay? Um, but the reality of when we say that we are totally depraved, it means that we are born inherently without any goodness or righteousness of our own value or worth. It means the essence of who we are, we are under this curse, so to speak. The moment that we come out of our mother's womb, we are born with a sinful nature. Often our culture likes to tell us, no, it's, it's um, you know, that we're born perfect and we're born blameless and we're born innocent. And it's not only until we start to learn sin that, you know, the kids become, that if you have kids, you know that's not true, right? From day one, I just remember Asia in diapers. How many years ago? 18 years ago. Well, let's be honest. 17 years ago. <laughs> she was still in diapers. And I remember her just, you would say, don't touch that. And she would look at you and go. <laughs> right? What do I have to do? Come along. Hey, you can get mad at me you want, whatever, but I would come along and go, give her a little poof on the diaper. And she would like, no, oh, wait, wait a minute. And it was, it was the same with all my kids. Hey, don't do that. Right? I never taught my kids to go like that. They learned that on their own. Why? Because we are all born with a sinful, inherent sinful nature. See, that's my point right there. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He didn't like that. Here's what Paul is telling us in this little portion of Scripture this morning. He says, one, that all people, all of us, whether you grew up with a Christian family, whether you grew up in church, whether you grew up with a set of good morals, he's saying it doesn't matter. 
We are all totally depraved. All of humanity is. And that the weight of sin is upon all people. And then if the weight of sin is upon all people and that we are totally depraved, that there is no other hope in ourselves. That we're all guilty. So where does that leave us? I just want to unpackage a little bit of what it means to be totally depraved this morning. And I want to look at these verses. And then what I want to do is, honestly, guys, you know where we're going to go with this. There's actually good news in this, and there's hope for us, okay? So don't check out. Don't freak out. This is what he says. He says in verse 10, he says, No one, none is righteous. No, not one. Lest we kind of are tempted to think somehow that there's, you ever hear phrases like, oh, I regained my hope in humanity when I saw this. You ever hear that people say that? Oh, you, you restored my faith in the goodness of who people are, as somehow there's an inherent goodness in us. This is what, I think this is how you say this guy's name. He's a Russian poet, uh, Turg, Turgenev. I don't know, maybe you guys are in, really into poetry. But he says this about the human nature. I don't know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it is terrible. Hmm. The problem when we, we think about goodness or righteousness or morality is that we u- often use it in subjective terms. Don't you? Like, here's, here's my case in point. If you're ever driving in your car, you know that anybody going slower than you is a moron. And if, anybody, and if anybody's going faster than you, they're a freaking lunatic. <laughs> right? Holy cow, that guy just whizzed by me. What a crazy person. And if there's somebody in front of you going super slow, the speed, go at least the speed limit for the love of God, right? And then you pull upside him and, oh, that's what a moron looks like. I knew that's what a moron looked like, <laughs> right? And see, we judge people based on our behavior. We judge people based on what we think is good. Oh, I should be driving at least maybe, maybe five to 10 miles over the speed limit. I mean, look at the flow of traffic. Or what we do is we say, you know, I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I mean, I've heard things about them. I've heard that they, like, they, they hit people or they fight with their wives or their husband or they cheat on their taxes. I don't do that kind of stuff. At least I'm not that bad, so I'm pretty good on the scale. Or we even, not, not even judging ourselves, what we do is we judge ourselves by ourselves and we say, well, I do good things. I, I, I give to charity all the time. I, I never cheat on my taxes. I even serve in the church. I serve like three out of four Sundays. I'm always giving myself away. Surely that has to count for something. Surely when I get up to heaven and God's going to weigh up and he's going to put my goods against my bads on the scale, surely he's going to look at my good deeds and go, well, Okay, you made it because the good stuff you did outweighed the bad stuff. But that's not what Paul says that counts for righteousness. And what Paul actually says is that there's no one who's good. No, not one. The only standard for pure righteousness and the righteousness and the goodness that God accepts is an unfair, I'll say unfair, perfection. Unfair perfection. Why is it unfair? Because none of us in this room, myself included, can live up to the standard of what God requires of us. We can't do it. 
See, that's the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion says, if you try really hard, if you do all these good things, and your good outweighs your bad, you will appease God. You will somehow, God will, God will be happy with you by your actions and what you did. And when you do go before the great white throne and God looks at you, hopefully because of the religious way that you lived your life, you're able to say, God, I got, scored all these brownie points with you. But God says that's not what counts. The only thing that counts for you, for me to accept you, is 100% perfection. And then we say, well, well, then what is our hope if none of us can fulfill this, right? None of us have ever been perfect. If, Kelly, if what you're saying from the day that we were born, that we were born into sin, that we wanted to touch the cookie when our mom and dad said, don't touch the cookie, if that was inherently in us, what hope can we ever have? It's a good, it's a good question to ask this morning. Paul also continues in verse 12. He says this, all have turned aside Together they have become worthless. Man, that's harsh. Paul's speaking of those who are outside of Christ. He's speaking of those who are trying to do good works on their own. He's speaking of those who would say, no, no, it's the, it's the good things that count. And he says, actually, you, that's not true. No, none of you are good. No one's born good. There is no inherent righteousness within yourself. None of that counts. And by the way, the stuff that you've done is actually worthless. I remember one time I was, uh, Marianne and I had a wedding photography business and I would sometimes do videography for the couple. And I remember one time I, I this was back in the day when they had these mini, mini, uh, mini tapes. It was before like digital really took off and I was editing it and I, I digitized it, get it inside the computer. And I remember spending about a week on this video editing, getting, you know, the slideshows and all this kind of a stuff. And Somehow my computer decided it wasn't going to save my progress. And I turn off the computer and thinking, okay, I just I got to just wrap up the end, you know, kind of a thing. Turn it back on and lo and behold, what's happened? There's nothing in there. Start to panic, right? All of my work had counted for nothing. Absolutely nothing. No matter how good my intentions were. No matter how like, much I wanted to tell the person, well, I spent a week on this, it, they don't care. They just want their video. And it's the same way with God. If we are outside of Christ, he says, I demand absolute perfection from you. And you say, no, 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 God, I spent a week doing all these good things. If, if I somehow, my, the computer of my life, if it would have saved it, you would have seen it, and I can show you, and you'll be really happy. And God just says, no, I, already, I did watch that wasn't enough. I demand absolute perfection. You guys doing okay? <laughs> All right. I'm gonna, here, here, I brought this little yardstick for us as an example. I told Shane if he hit a, missed a note this morning, I would come and give him a little whack on the, the bass. No, I'm just kidding. Kind of. So what, this is a, not a perfect illustration of our lives. But if you could imagine, at the top of the, the inches here, the yard, if this was perfection and this was righteousness and this was what God requires of us to reach a godly life and to find favor with God, and it's up here. Some of us, we, 
you know, we, we say, okay, we start down here at life. And this is a, what the problem is with religion is it says you start here at zero. And what you have is a chance in this life. What God does in his great benevolence for us as humankind is he gives all of humans the chance to prove their worth, right? For the captain of Gondor to show his quality. Sorry, I just had to throw it into the Lord of the Rings. All right, sorry. So what happens is we often view our lives as somehow, you know, it's like the thermometer, right, when you're giving. So somehow we start off here in righteousness or goodness, and we try to earn our way up to salvation. We try to earn our way up to what we think God would approve of us. And some of us think, man, I got like, you know, a quarter of the way up here. That's not too bad because like I look at my neighbor and he's probably down here. So when God compares us, he's probably going to go, Kelly, I'll accept you compared to like, you know, your, your neighbor over here. Or if we, we even get further than, you know, maybe a quarter of the way, we get up about a third and we say, man, I'm doing really well. Uh, look at all the good stuff I'm doing. I'm, I'm actually not just not doing the bad stuff, but I'm actually doing good stuff. So I must be at least a third of the way. But the reality is that even our righteousness, it actually counts for zero. It doesn't earn us any kind of favor with God on this. And let me read this with us here. It, let's continue in Romans. It says this in verses 19 through 20. Where am I in my Bible? At the end of his string of pearls, Romans, or Paul says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. Basically, no one can say nothing against the truth of the law, because the law is the ultimate line, and so whatever your argument it is, you have no argument against it. And the whole world may be held accountable to God, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. No human being will ever attain what is the goal to get to God in righteousness. No human being will ever be born actually at ground zero. Where we are when we're born is negative because we're born already automatically with an inherent sinful nature. We are totally depraved. There is nothing that resides within us apart from God that counts towards righteousness, even the good works we do. Because here's the problem. When the law judges us, when the law holds its measure against us, it not only judges the things that we do on the outward side, the things and the things we do and don't, but what it does is it judges the inside. It judges our hearts. And so when we hear Jesus say, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you, if there is anger in your heart, you have murdered your brother. You heard it said, thou shalt not covet. You've heard it said this and this and this, but I tell you, if there is this in your heart, you've committed that sin. And so while we may fool ourselves a little bit and say, dad, am I a good person because I do bad things? And our dad says, no, you're a good person. The reality is we know the truth that's in our heart and it's actually here, not even at ground zero. It's sub-level. Now what in the world is the hope if, we are, if we're totally depraved, if we're totally without any kind of hope on our own, if we have no way of earning righteousness to God, if we have no way of getting to this salvation point on our own, how in the world do we get there? 
Here's what I want to do this morning. Give me a second. And I might make a mess. The only, if this is where we want to be, and we know that we're not even close, and we never will be, and we look at this and go, man, there's absolutely no hope. Paul does not leave us at the bottom. Look at this. He says this, and he continues in verse 21 through 25. There's a but, and there's a big but, okay? There's a big old but right here. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested, what? Apart from the law. See, before you were held accountable to the law to be righteous. And now, the righteousness of God is going to be revealed, what? Apart from this thing? What are you talking about, Paul? First you're telling me that there's no hope in myself, I can't do this on my own, and now you're telling me there's another way, there's a loophole somehow, what are you saying? Well, let's continue reading. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in who? Jesus Christ. For who? For all who believe. For there is no distinction. And then he comes, he comes back. Let's, let, now I'm talking about grace, church. I'm talking about this stuff. But just in case you forgot, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one who's righteous on their own and are justified by what? By his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You notice how the language changes here from you are this and you are that and there's no way of hope. And what he, Paul does, he just says, listen, that's a lost cause. You being down here, trying to get up here, it's just a lost cause. But let me tell you something. There's one way for you to get here to there, and that's through the body of Christ. And what Jesus did is he broke his body for us. And every step of the way was sprinkled for us. And not only was his body broken and took the sins as a propitiation, but he spilled his blood for us. You're welcome. We have carpet cleaner. And so when we look at this now measuring up ruler, we see that it is now stained with the blood of Christ. And every part where Jesus says, where God says, I demand perfection from you. And you say, God, I can't do it on my own. It's impossible. And he says, I understand that. I've made a way for you to get from here to there. And it's not anything that you're going to be able to do on your own. I've made a way for you. It's through the Son named Jesus, the anointed one, the perfect one, the holy one, the one who laid down his life for you and me when he shouldn't have, didn't have to. He didn't ever look at us and go, well, you know, Marianne started off good. I gave her a chance. 
I gave her a chance and she started off for the first 10 years of her life, she started off really good, but then when she hit 10 and a half, she started going sideways. I better come back and fix that. No, it's even deeper than that. And what I want us to understand this morning, friends, is not somehow that we lost our way along the way. It's not somehow that, you know, we started off really well. It's the fact that we had started off with a zero bank account, a negative bank account. We started off owing God. And it's in spite of us owing, it's in spite of the debt of our sin that then Jesus comes and he covers this road that we have to get to perfection and he lays down his life for us. The only perfect one, the one that's when, when Paul says, apart from the law, this is the apart from the law that Paul is talking about. And he says, stop striving. Stop trying to climb the ladder. Stop trying to do good works. Stop trying to tell God, look at all the good things I've done. And what you need to start doing is saying, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you came and you rescued me. You lifted me out of the miry clay, out of the swamp when my foot was stuck and my boot was coming out. And I couldn't get myself out. You lifted me up, you picked me up, you put me on solid ground. And if I would have kept going my way, I would have never made it. But Jesus, you, you looked at my ledger and you said, no, it's not. It's never going to make it. But you filled it in every step of the way. And friends, this morning, that's what Paul's trying to tell us. Although you're totally depraved, although you were born with a negative account, you, you didn't even like get a chance. You know, here's the thing. I, I don't know if I should say this, but God's not the God of second chances. God's, you ever hear a preacher say that? God's the God of second chances. Hallelujah. Right? And third chances. And fourth chances. And fifth chances. And sixth chances. Seventh chances. Eight chances. I want to say, no, he's not. What God does not do is like somehow pick us up, clean us off, and go, okay. Go, I give you another chance to go live a righteous life that I approve of. He doesn't give us these chances. What he does is he changes us to completely, totally from the inside out. So it's no longer me trying to like do all the good things and I'm, I'm holding on to this chance, this second chance that God gave me. No, no longer is that any part of my life as a Christian. Now I've been set free totally from the moment of conversion the Holy Spirit leads and guides me, and my chance, so to speak, is always in me and with me, and it will last into eternity until the day I go. Do you guys understand that difference? This is the reason why. If this is our life, and we are in Christ, the blood is our whole life until we go to be the glory. The body is our whole life until we go to be the glory. You know why my dad was so ready to go be with Jesus? I mean, honestly, he was, he was telling us, like, I just want to go home. And we think, don't you want to hold on? Isn't this life more satisfying than the, the fear of death? He's like, no. You know why? So I understand this. I understand that however short or long my life is, that the blood of Jesus has covered every good part, every bad part, every time where I felt like I was earning the salvation of God and every time where I definitely knew I wasn't. Our hope is not in our own righteousness. Our hope is not in our own works. Even though we're born without a righteous bone in our body, 
God comes and does a transplant. Sets us free. Will you stand with me this morning?